0: This podcast is brought to you by All Things Film. <coughs> no, it, it really is. All Things Film, the web's premier collection of independent movie and TV related podcasts. For more, check out www.allthingsfilm.co.uk or search All Things Film on iTunes, Stitcher or TuneIn
1: Radio. And now, on with the show.
0: Welcome to Podcast on Fire 194, it's gambling season time again, and we're talking all for the winner and God of Gamblers 2, and it's the, as I said, second of this God of Gamblers series retrospective, and after covering the giant fat run of movies in the form of 1989's God of Gamblers and 1994's God of Gamblers Return, we turn to The Saint. Of Gamblers and the Stephen Chow run, but it's not called Saint of Gamblers, but that's who he is. And in 1990, Stephen Chow broke through as a comedy superstar, playing the Saint of Gamblers or Daw Sing In, All for the Winner, directed by Jeff Lau and Corey Yun. And this uh, set off a long series of successful uh, comedies, not just gambling comedies, but various comedies. And Stephen Chow was kind of dubbed the king of uh, Moletow comedy, essentially nonsensical or nonsense comedy, if you will. And then the universes merged in the same year as All for the Winner for God of Gamblers 2, with Stephen Chow reprising his saint role, and he was paired up with Andy Lau's knife from God of Gamblers from the year before. Instant success box office-wise, and this was headed by Wong Jing, and will it is it confusing? I'm sure it is, but we will try to hammer it hammer it into your heads during the show, uh, how these the universes merge and uh, all the spin-offs and what have you, I guess that's the series' uh, intention too, but uh, we'll uh, we'll talk of all of that, I'm going to be in with me again to assist me in breaking it all down and review the movies, is Paul Fox coming to us from Hong Kong, so hello buddy, how are you?
1: I'm doing very well, how are you, sir? Very good, very good. I'm
0: not uh, turned into a rampant gambler yet or anything. I'm not there, out there playing baccarat and uh, <laughs> like uh, going to local casinos or anything. I'm still the most boring person in terms of, like, I, I don't like to gamble. It's boring,
1: you know. I just know two jokers beats everything, right?
0: Well, then you're more of an expert than I am.
1: <laughs> I don't know. At least yeah. on this show.
0: Hey, hey I, I recognize one of the games uh, in the actual films. I think they played Blackjack at one point. Like, hey, I can follow it. I can follow it. That's like 14, 18, 20, 21, Blackjack. Still doesn't make me go out and uh, play it because uh, I'm too paranoid in terms of these things. Like, uh, Do you do any uh, uh, any like weekend trips to Macau at all, your, you and your family? To, and be, be, because Macau is obviously a big, uh, big gambling uh, haven, if you will.
1: Oh yeah, it's gotten huge, and especially since the uh, Western casinos have come and and kind of tried to rebuild uh, a strip of, in Macau with the new Kotai area. And but actually, yeah, we went actually a couple times last year. We've got a trip planned um, a little bit later this year when my family comes, and we like to go and stay at the casino. Um, they actually have some really good, you know, family friendly stuff. Um, the one we stay at is the Sands uh, in Kotai and they have a huge DreamWorks exhibit. So they've like actually partnered with DreamWorks and they, they have this thing like uh, called a Shrekfest and it's a huge production. It's like a buffet breakfast. The whole um, auditorium that they've, I guess, you know, shared or rented out with DreamWorks is all made out in the, in the style of all the animated films and characters come out and, and dance and, and sing and play with the kids. And, you know, it's not, it's not typically what you think of when you think of the traditional sort of casino experience. So they've tried to become much more family friendly. And as I like to tell my friends, you know, Macau is a lot like Vegas, but without a lot of the porn.
0: Oh, I'm not, oh, I'm not going to. Yeah,
1: at least <laughs> on the surface level. Last time I was in Vegas um, some years back, I, I was there for, uh, studying at uh, a summer course at uh, University of uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. Or University of Nevada, Las Vegas, at UNLV, and so of course we would, like would go down to the strip and and I liked it because at that time they had the Star Trek experience there. But anytime you walk down the strip, there's all these guys just you know throwing flyers, these porn flyers, you know, in, in your face, and you don't you don't see any of that. I mean, I'm sure that there's a there's an underground industry that exists over there in Macau, but it's not you know it's not out on the street because they know that people are coming with families and things and. And so as they've developed, they've tried to, you know, keep it from going in that direction, I think. But we, I, I don't gamble. I, I just don't. I, have, I think I said in the last show, I'm, I'm not lucky. I'm not a person who, you know, does well in games of chance at all. And it's not something that's ever appealed to me. Um, the few times I've been in Vegas, um, for my mom, I went and I played like $5 in slots. And I actually won like six fifty. Back so I came out like a dollar fifty ahead and so I quit <laughs> so I beat the house <laughs> but yeah that's it I don't find you know uh, I'd rather go sink my money in you know buying some DVDs or, or watching a movie or something that's gonna that's gonna be you know a, a good return for me on on the investment.
0: Uh, Okie okay, okay, we'll uh, get into it after some short uh, contact information, so shortly you'll hear our thoughts on all for the winner, but first of all, this is Podcast on Fire and gambling season on the Podcast on Fire network, our website podcastonfire.com. I can tease already, we'll be doing a bonus episode at the end of this series, which is three episodes long, so when that's uh, when the series concludes, there will be a website-exclusive bonus episode only on that site, not downloadable from iTunes or Stitcher and what have you. If you have any questions or feedback, email us Podcast on Fire at Google dot com. We are reachable on Facebook as well, Facebook dot com forward slash POF network. But the main discussion goes on in our group. Uh, you can reach that by searching podcastonfire on Fire Network in the search bar. Our Twitter handle is at Podcast on Fire. And furthermore, my writing of various uh, Hong Kong genres, category free, Taiwanese uh, movies of the 70s and 80s, uh, ninja movies by IFD and Godfrey Ho's ninja movies and what have you, but a variety of genres over there at SoGoodReviews.com and I video review at com and my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews And Podcast on Fire is available on iTunes. And if you like your podcasts uh, delivered uh, promptly or what have you, rate and, well, subscribe first of all, but uh, please rate with a little star rating. A click will do. But if you have the time, please leave a written comment as well. And uh, that will very much make our day. And uh, thank you to everybody who has done so in the past. And finally, on my end, if you don't have space on your device for podcasts, uh, there is the ability to stream us very, very smoothly through Stitcher Radio. Uh, they have a website where you can follow us, but also an application available on the Apple App Store and Google Play. Paul, people know that you're a podcaster, but uh, if they don't know, what is it called and where are you on the web?
1: Yeah, we do a show called East Screen, West Screen, and you can find us over at Comcast, uh, that's dot com. And all the relevant links and good stuff are over there.
0: More recent uh, Hong Kong uh, slash Hong Kong mainland movies is the is the focus I gather. You you rarely go back uh, to vintage stuff, right?
1: Yeah, no, we um you know we we try to focus on the stuff that's current, the stuff that we're seeing, um because uh you know we that, that that's kind of what's in our wheelhouse for the moment, and because there are shows like yours that are out there doing uh doing the classic stuff and doing such a good job of it. That's so a way to
0: turn the tables on, on me, like you're better. Well, I think I am better, Paul. Thank you very much. And then, then no compliment for me whatsoever. <laughs> no, but you're doing an excellent job. I mean, you're on the front lines there, and uh, you're getting it. Uh, you're getting a fresh view out there quite quickly of certain movies and what have you. Uh, you know,
1: good movies or not. I do have to say, it is, it is, it is an honor and it's great to always be here because, I think we said on the last show, you know, I, I wish I had a time travel machine that could take me back to you know, this era of movies? Because for me, this is where it's at.
0: Well, the era where there was a Stephen Chow movie every few months, seemingly, at least one or two each year, maybe several, you know. That would be fun, like like Category 3, Category 3, Stephen Chow, Stephen Chow, Category 3, Category 3. You know, if you went into 1993, that would be like lots of porn and lots of comedies. Uh, and gambling spin offs too, in a way. Uh, in the 90s, there were more than just the Wong Jing and Jeff Lao movies and what have you. So, uh, yeah. That's cool. Uh, we'll take a break to listen to the uh, theme music from All for the Winner. It's not the God of Gamblers theme, but obviously composed in a way where it sounds like it, because All for the Winner wouldn't really have existed uh, if God of Gamblers was not a hit and disappeared. Uh, disappeared. But uh, hey, All for the Winner was a winner in many ways, and uh, it was a box office uh, smash, and it uh, started the career of Stephen Chow as a comedy superstar, and we'll talk of how that fares in 2015 after the break. Welcome back and the first movie that we're gonna discuss of this episode of a second out of three and in the gambling season, God of Gamblers Retrospective, is All for the Winner from 1990, a plot from the Love HK film review of the film. So quote The plot of this whackfest concerns Sing, played by Stephen Chow, a dumb, lovable and superpowered mainlander who comes to Hong Kong from China to visit his uncle Tat, played by Umman Tat, Stephen Chow's co-star in many of his comedies uh, from this point on. At first, he only gets on Tat's nerves, but when it's revealed that he can see through objects, Tat gets some funky ideas. He p- employs Chow as Daw Singh, or the Saint of Gambling, and proceeds to set him loose on the gambling world. Sing ends up making a ton of bucks at the gambling tables and attracts the attentions of two rival gangsters played by Veteran actor Paul Chun and the film's co-director Jeff Lau, who plays a Taiwanese character here, Sing falls in falls in with Lau, but Chun's character, who's called Hung, does his best to make sure Sing won't succeed in the King of Gamblers competition. And finally, meanwhile, Sing falls for Yi Mong, played by Charlotte Chung, who is her it's her third appearance during this show in one of these movies, and it, it won't be her last. Uh, Third appearance, third character, and after this show is done, we'll talk of her fourth appearance and fourth character in this series. But uh, she's against the mole and toughest nails, a double agent, and that's what Who Sing falls for Yi All for the winner. Shortly, uh, some background information. This at the set apparently a box office record at local box office at the time as it earned a bit over $40 million Hong Kong. And uh, that's probably close to the truth, actually, because uh, that's a mighty number. Um, He was nominated uh, for two awards, Best Actor for Stephen Chow, and Best Supporting Actor for Man Tat. And I think Stephen Chow had been nominated once or twice and maybe even won a Hong Kong Film Award prior for some new performer or Best Supporting Actor, because he was in uh, some comedy, some series roles. I think Final Justice, the Danny Lee movie he did two years prior, which is an action comedy kind of... uh, 48-hour style comedy, if you will. If you just look at the setup, he might have been nominated for that or even won for that. So he certainly had been in movies. But this is the time where the comedic performer was let loose in a s- distinct way that we now recognize. Uh, it's uh, quite something, and that leads into my short opinion. Even though it feels a little less even than subsequent comedies of Chaos, it is fairly enjoyable. It's amusing to even laugh out loud Laugh out loud, funny. And it's got just the right silly touches by an already well-developed and instinctive comedic performer. And it would get better, but the thing is, it's already good. So that's my short opinion. What do you think of All for the Winner short?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I, it's the film that kind of uh, put him out in the spotlight. I mean, he'd done a couple other things, um, like Lung Fung Restaurant and and a few other things, but nothing that really kind of made him uh, super stand out. Some of them, if I remember correctly, like uh, I think he did Faithfully Yours, you know, they were uh, collage pieces with uh, other big stars at the time. And so here it's really a chance for him to kind of shine on his own and also set up this, um, what would be kind of a long-going partnership with uh, Mantat as well.
0: Do do you feel, as a movie within the gambling genre, do you think it's, feels like a cash-in but like became bigger than intended you know in feel I mean do you see that that it's definitely trying to tap into that but it had another element that just made it like above any uh, any cash-in i.e Stephen Charles breakthrough performance
1: well sure I think if you you know you can look at many of the the set pieces that they do where they're actually poking fun at God of Gamblers and the, the conventions that that film establishes you know the slow-mo walk and the the gelling of the hair
0: oh i didn't even spot that you're so right oh my god i, I love that guy but you're totally right it's definitely related
1: so you, you know i think that the, the intention was that all right here was this big film you know from, from a couple of years ago let's make fun of it and, and a lot of hong kong films do this but in addition to that you had stephen chow kind of Establishing his style of comedy, at least in this sort of first phase uh, of his career, um, that that or, or maybe maybe it's the second, I guess, because some people might point to uh, some of the work he did early on. He did some TVB dramas with Lao Ching Wan and, and I think Tony Lung and, and others. Yeah, so so maybe some people would consider that his kind of the first phase phase of his career. But I think in the West we came to know him uh, very strongly through uh, you know this movie and the movies that would follow. And his style of humor, you know, the moletow humor that he establishes here, um, of course, that would run out at a point, and and people start would start to say that oh he's kind of doing the same shtick again, you know, sticking the tongue out and 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 making the silly faces and doing the, some nonsense lines. At a certain point, people were like oh it's kind of him again, and so he had to redefine himself, and then we start to see that redefinition take place in the later part of the '90s
0: especially when he started directing himself or co-directing, it was clear that that was a new step for him. Like, yeah. if you fast forward to From Beijing with Love, it's not all for the winner or recycled or anything. Uh, it's, it's definitely bigger and, uh, and still silly. Uh, lots of violence, too. So there you go.
1: And you can in, in, in some ways, you can say he's, he's a little bit akin to Tarantino in that he loves film. And he loves media. You you get the sense that he knows film and media quite well, and he's able to play with uh, conventions and things that influenced him. and And we see that that really start to show here um, and carry through his other films as he makes fun of you know or or maybe makes fun as pays homage to uh, people like Bruce Lee, and then later you know uh, James Bond, and then other other film genres, cartoons, and things that. Um, you know, would show up as as devices in his work.
0: You know a little bit more Chinese than I do. So uh, I always heard beforehand, before I watched Stephen Chow movies, that this is comedy that's not really well translated to the West. And that kind of scared me because are they even going to be able to convey the Cantonese wordplay and the fast talking and the banter between characters? After all is said and done, his mix has always been—you can recognize where that enters, where this is clearly a verbal scene that's possibly nigh on impossible to translate. But it's always been very physical, but and also really clear dialogue, even as translator, you know. So I've, it's a minor percentage that i have not understood throughout his entire career, you know, and um, because there's so many gags in his movies. And they, w- was that ever something you noticed where it's clearly? Verbally, verbal focus, or do you think he always ma- uh, mixed the two, like physical, understandable verbal stuff, and completely local humor?
1: Well, there's there's always stuff that's lost in in translation, and especially when he gets into a lot of the vocalization. Even today, and you know, as a, as a uh, my, my Cantonese is, is not superb by any way, shape, or form. And there's stuff that contextually I just have no clue, and sometimes I can tell when stuff is not matching up with you know, uh, what's being subtitled out. Um, and in some cases, you know, the, 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 the subtitlers do their best. And I think on his more recent work that, that comes out, but on his early work, I, you know, cause the way that they used to do subtitles here is that they would farm them out to these basically, you know, people, you know, on the street, you know, these, these, these back, back alley shops and things. And the subtitlers would only get the audio track. They wouldn't see the film. And so this is why in Hong Kong movies you get a lot of uh, mix-up between things like gender. Yeah, that when, when, when you say, you know, like him or her um, in Cantonese, it's a single word. The gender is only defined by the written version, right, when, when you see the written character. So when somebody's listening to that only and they don't have a script with them, and they're just trying to, you know, do a translation, sometimes they're not really sure what the context is, because they can't see it. In some cases, and I can remember this, and you'll still find this if you get, like, an old VCD or or, or an old DVD print, um, where sometimes they'll just have a couple sentences, you know, or a speech go on for a minute or two, and there's no subtitles. And And I think it's because they, you know, it's like whoever the subtitler was, you know, was sick, and so they gave it to their little brother to do or something, and just, they just had no idea how to do that part so they, they just kind of you know left it out. But the most the most specific example from a Stephen Chow movie that comes to my mind of something like this is um, in uh, in Kung Fu Hustle okay there's a scene where the uh, where yunhua and um, and the, the landlady sit down with um, uh, what's his name the villain Bruce Lang? yeah bruce long and um he comments to them and he says oh you must be so and so and so and so the translation on uh, on the, in the english subtitle is you must be paris and uh, helen of troy which i guess is, at the time was kind of relevant for english speakers because of brad pitt's movie uh what was it troy was 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 around the same time but the actual what they're actually saying is that you must be Guoyi and and Little Dragon Maiden si Long Noi, from the Return of the Condor Heroes series, right? Which it which people, you know, who don't follow Hong Kong pop culture, they'll you know you could put that out there for them, but they're not going to know who those characters are. And so the tra- that's the case of the translators trying to find something that in the Western is kind of equivalent, but not really, uh, and and trying to make it work. And so I think we encounter things like that quite often in subtitles.
0: But yeah, overall, it's been very his whole whole filmography. There's never been like one movie that I'm totally out of the loop on. There's always been enjoyable stretches. There's been lesser movies, of course, but it's not due to the entire movie being one verbal gag after the other. And uh, it's certainly true here that the mixture is quite comfortable. It's co-directed by someone who seemingly worked very well with Xiao, and that is uh, Jeff Lau, who also has a supporting role here. And uh, I guess in short, I mean, many consider... Stephen Chow's Monkey King movies, Chinese Odyssey wanted to be in arguably some of his best work, even from a dramatic standpoint. There is some actual pathos and emotions there. Uh, I always loved Jeff Lau. He had an energy about his movies at this time, whether they were supernatural or action filled, and the haunted cop shop movies are a good example of the Jeff Lau energy. And Chinese Odyssey the Chinese Odyssey movies are you know, big movies of the time, and uh, Stephen Chow is, or oh, when is the Monkey King, is totally unrecognizable. Obviously, it's a great makeup job there, and uh, I, I quite enjoy their collaborations. He worked well with Wong Jing, but uh, Jeff Lau and him did did some good work, including uh, the, these free movies, if you will.
1: For the especially for the Monkey King films, those are films that I did not, did not like at first, um, because in part I had gone into those hoping that it was going to be more of a straight retelling of the story somewhat more like what we saw with the the monkey king donnie yen's monkey king from uh was it last year it took a while for, but those films grew on me and i and i've since come to appreciate them a lot more and, and the humor in them
0: what's not to like initially about
1: a a uh, a shithole little
0: <laughs> a literal poop hole <laughs> yeah
1: For me, I guess I I was just kind of hoping going in that it was going to be, you know, again, uh, um, a more updated, straight um, retelling of the characters rather than this kind of kind of um, odd, you know, time travel saga that was more it it had a lot of a lot of deep humor and and made a made fun of a lot of stuff from the Monkey King, which um, I would come to appreciate appreciate much, much more over time.
0: Like a template for Stephen Chow that he followed for a few movies, at least, was him playing the country bumpkin, coming to the big city. And uh, that was something that what didn't go on repeat as much as, like, I guess, the humor. And uh, then he changed changed up his humor a little bit. But it was definitely there. It's a template that's recognizable in many movies and through many performers. But it, it's, it's here. It's in Legend of the Dragon, the pool movie, the snooker movie. And, and I think various other movies. And I, th- I think it's just something... Comedically alluring, I suppose, and simple for audiences to get into, like there's a naive mainlander coming to Hong Kong, and that—that's what they create humor out of, good or bad.
1: Yeah, this is a this is an idea, a concept that a lot of writing has, academic writing has been done about, and traced back to uh, a TVB series from I want to say 1979 called uh, The Good, The Bad, and the Ugly, starring Chow Yun Fat. And uh, Carol Cheng, and in this series, there's a character called um, they they refer to him as A Chan.
0: Oh, oh, isn't that the actor Liu Wei Hong, I
1: believe? Yes, yes, yes. So, so the A Chan character is um, kind of a, a label that's used to refer to uh, a bumpkin character from China, and and part of this is I I think is used as a you know as a kind of identifier between a, an us and them kind of a thing, you know, the the mainland uneducated immigrant versus us, you know, the the you know superior capitalist Hong Konger who's got a good education kind, kind of thing. And, of course, a lot of people play with this. Um, Alfred Chung, okay, uh, Alfred Chung, actor, director. I mean, he directs uh, the movie Family Light Affair with a friend Chan, and it's a so similar kind of an idea where the comedy is from this, you know, family coming to Hong Kong. They don't understand, you know, the big city concept. Um, later, with uh, the very famous... Uh, her Fatal Ways series, similar idea, you know. And so, yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. And, and it's been it's been something that's been sort of role reversed of late, where now Hong Kongers are kind of being cast as bumpkin-esque, bumpkin-esque characters compared to the rich mainlanders who will come in and save the day. Now, this has been a trend in a lot of local movies where the day is saved by... A mainlander coming in from from with with lots of money and using that money as kind of a Deus ex machina to sort of solve all the problems.
0: Uh, well, let's get into it. um What works initially here, I think, is uh, that the very young-looking Steven Chow. My God, does he look young in this movie in particular? His uh, his reactions are quite good, even for simple gags, and the, the, that's why it's very honed comedically already. Like when he's looking for Uncle Tat, he he has got an address, but the, the, like the number is smushed and what have you, so he he keeps shouting, you know, Tatso, oh! and everybody throws like stuff onto the ground within a millisecond, and his reactions are quite good because it seems like everyone's already armed with you know kitchen utensils and what have you ready to throw at him, and even those simple things, I I, I admire that Stephen is in tune with that silliness of the gags. He's he's always into them, like him escaping, having all of that stuff thrown onto him. I just find that completely irresistible. And that is comedic timing. It obviously comes from the director and all the collaborations here, but that is really comedic timing early on that would continue to develop. Uh, And even if it seems simple. I promise you, Paul, and I'm sure you can relate, it's probably not simple to convey it in, in a way where people are on board with it. And obviously, people were. Uh, the box office speaks for itself, you know.
1: Yeah, well, I think, it, I mean, it, it's clear that it was something that uh, was that the people wanted, obviously. I mean, again, this movie ran for a period of, a, what, a month, I think, uh, in total run, running time. and That, in, that in,
0: is long for a Hong Kong movie at that time. Yeah,
1: and, and I mean, it bro- was breaking... Uh, box office, office records as a result. So something about his timing, his reactions, um, and his humor was a change-up from comedies that had come out previously, and and there was something there that people really wanted and responded to.
0: How do you think um, his um, interaction with Uman works? And uh, and at the same time, I want to describe the running gag of uh, Uman um involuntary humping disorder, if you will. So, so, so talk about those two things, those two together and that gag in particular.
1: Yeah, so apparently there's a genetic disorder in, that runs in the family so that any time he refers to him as by, by his full title his uncle uh, and his name, uh, Uncle Todd, then he convulses and he becomes <laughs> lecherous and attacks the nearest thing, whether it's an inan- inan- inanimate object or a person or a woman. Um, and this is a, this is a gag that will carry through to a couple other movies too. Uh, yeah, they have a good chemistry together and, uh, they, they, you know, it's, it, I don't want to say it's Abbott and Costello esque but, um, they do have a, a good sort of, uh, at times a straight man and, you know, um, com- comedic bit kind of back and forth that goes on yeah. that works really, really well. And Sometimes, you know, it comes down to the dialogue and there are things I can remember being in in the theater and there would be moments where people would be laughing and I wouldn't Mm -hmm. because, again, the translation of the subtitle may not have come across as funny as what they're what they're actually saying. But then there'd be reverse moments where something would be in the subtitle or something on screen, which I would. Find amazingly hysterical, and I'd burst out laughing, and nobody else would be laughing, you know. So, yeah, so it it you know humor comes across in a very different way, and this is something that I think is always uh, I always talk about with with folks. You know, you, you talk about Chinese movies getting international exposure, and it's always you know they'll point to oh like Gong Li and Zhang Yimou and, you know, all these great dramas that came out of China and did so well on the film festivals and international circuits. And you never saw Stephen Chow or, or, or comedies doing. And I think that's because comedy is much harder. Drama you know, tragedy translates across borders very, very well, but comedy doesn't. And that's what makes it so nuanced and so, you know, so much more difficult to get into and to understand. But I think it also makes it that much more difficult to convey like you know like you were saying even for somebody as new as he was at this time and when he
0: did do Shaolin Sok and Kung Fu Hustle it was clear that he was like leaving behind some of the more Tao but not a whole lot in my opinion and I think those were I'm glad that those got such exposure that they did through the uh distribution through uh Sony or Columbia. Uh, Xiaomi Soccer had a rougher ride, obviously being uh, part of the Weinstein uh, company or Miramax at that time, but it, they did get uh, exposure and uh, there's a lot of stuff there that seems very local. So I'm glad that eventually two vehicles that are quite good, two reference movies, in my opinion, that they got exposure. But that, that doesn't mean all for the winner would get an automatic, like, uh, theatrical and DVD, um, uh, I think they, it might have international rights but it's certainly not released outside of Hong Kong at this point. An example of why I like the Mantat Stephen Chow banter back and forth and the, the, the stuff that reaches me that's well translated is the banter is quite loud back and forth but it can be also quite subdued and so silly that it just makes me smile whenever I think of it. Like for instance, you see an early scene where Stephen Chow's hair is all funny. It's uh, standing on all sides. And Umatat says to him, like, take off that wig. And he, like, sh- Stephen Shaw shamelessly pulls it off like a kid and essentially says, I thought this was a popular look. And what, <laughs> those things are just so irresistible to me. They're, 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 that's why I think the banter and their chemistry works so well. It all comes down to, yeah, how, how the chemistry works and how how you focus on even those s- subdued gags. That, that's, that's gone in a millisecond, really, and... Uh, so that that's quite fun, and, and also by the way, obviously uh, Dorsing or Singh has uh, these uh, X-ray. You can see through objects, and he can also change cards, if you will. So you go back compared to Kuchun, uh God of Gamblers, uh, the China Fat character. Here we get sort of an origin point of skills, almost. It goes back to someone at the beginning of his gambling career, if you will. So that that that's a slight change, up rather than us meeting the already finished evolved and crazily rich saint of gamblers. So it's, it's um, a bit of an origin point. Uh, but we did we don't follow him to childhood. But he does, in dialogue, I think, in one of the movies, talk of that he knew gambling masterfully so at the age of five or something like that. And then it all went downhill for, <laughs> for his entire family. So it's, it's a bit of a curse because in the second movie, it's very clear that you can't use it for Exploitational purposes you have to use it for good you have to use it for charity purposes
1: yeah i think that this is one of the traps they get into as they expand this series out because you know when he comes in he is not he he, they play him off as somebody who doesn't know gambling that well right he just he just has the ability to see through things and and then it's like uncle tat man gets the idea that he can use this in gambling right yeah um, but then later they it, it, it goes back and sort of, you know, that there's a retcon that says, oh, no, he was, you know, gambling and new gambling very early on. And also with the powers, this is a point I'll come back to later as we get more into the second film. But the powers become much more expansive and they start to bend some of the established rules that get yeah. set up in this film as well.
0: Because it's funny, really. <laughs> I, th- I think it's a, it almost comes down to that. Like, should we, like, does that make sense with what we did the year before? I don't know. It's funny. <laughs> Hypnosis is funny. <laughs> you you know did you find those um, movies he did like this year and just before these like milder comedies, if you will, that stretch of comedies? You know, did you find those enjoyable? Like if you ever saw Love Is Love that he did with Sandra because they were they were funny, but they were milder, more pleasant comedies, if you will.
1: Oh yeah, I mean I I've enjoyed uh, pretty much everything he's been in. Uh, with I think a couple of the exceptions being the uh the early ones where um, i trying to think, like maybe Thunder Cops 2 or yeah. maybe Final a, Justice. Which
0: is a more serious doc movie, actually.
1: Yeah, they're, they're more serious. Yeah, I, I think that I you know I prefer him when he's when he's doing what he's known for. That being said, I don't want to take away from the fact that I think he's got the chops to do very serious roles, and we get glimpses of that uh, throughout a lot of the stuff he does in, during his career.
0: Yeah, and even you know, like Love is Love is an example where Sandra mm, is used to, like good effect and not just the butt of uh, fat jokes and being ugly jokes, which is uh, not something I'm always comfortable with. But hey, at least Sandra developed into something else where it's not
1: uh, the running gag for a third decade in a row or anything in her career. I mean, she's a dramatic actress. Which is amazing because this was I mean, she was the ugly, chubby girl, kind of stereotyped in in, in almost a lot of her appearances. And she had many, many appearances. I mean, it was always good to see her come into something like Love is Love, where you know, she was kind of front and center as, as a leading lady. But very often, she was relegated to the kind of role she had in this movie, where she's kind of the you know, bossy, loudmouth girl, and uh, you know, she's, she's a little bit chubby compared to the other leading ladies on the screen. And to, to, to see her then and to con- look at the, what she does now it's almost like night and day. It's, it's it's you know, it's it's pretty amazing, especially this year, I mean, with the film she's just done, where she's actually playing a male role and pulling it off amazingly well.
0: I don't know, how do you think uh, Jeff Lau and Coryun like balances uh, the, uh, like the Stephen Chow and Uma Tat front center and like the side stories with the Cory Jung character and the Sandra character and Angelina Low character, like the family that Daddy comes to, you know, because I... I don't think I care very much about like the Corey Yoon, and Lowe and Sounder scenes in actuality. I think they stalled the movie whenever they focus on them.
1: I think I would have agreed with you probably back in the nineties, but actually rewatching this film and and getting a, a different take on it this time, one thing that popped out in my mind was okay, so you have the co-directors Corey Yoon and Jeff Lau, and they're both in the film, right They're both playing uh, uh you know roles and in one case Jeff Lau is this. Rich big spender from Taiwan who's trying to recruit Stephen Chow's character to come play for his team in the in the championship, and, and kind of get him away from Paul Chun Poi, who also wants to to control him. And Corey Yun is this guy who you know is living with uh, Uncle Tat and and the you know these uh, these other other ladies, and you know they're poor and I guess they have a it, it's not their daughter. Or, I wasn't really clear on the relationship, but there's like a young girl who needs a, needs an operation at, at a certain point because she's having issues. But they seem to have a very close-knit connection. And there's a point later in the film where it actually it actually sets up a parallel between these two directors, right? So on the one hand, you have uh, Director Lau who's kind of the path to the dark side, right? Uh, you know, the, the gam- become a gambler. And, and get big money and, and you know, and, and go down that path. And, but later the Corey Yun character is kind of like saying, you know, it, you know what's important is family and, and, and this kind of thing. And so the, the two of them, you know, set, set up these kind of t- like little, little devil, little angel uh, kind of, they, they play these kind of roles for the Sing character. And ultimately, he you know ends up making a decision based on his interaction with both of these these men throughout the course of the film. That wasn't that apparent to me the first time I remember watching this film, and even on se- subsequent re-watches when I would later get it on video. But this time, I don't know why that stuck out in my mind a little bit more. I mean, that latter reveal
0: does, when Corleone has more of a dramatic uh, scene where he lays that all out. I think that's valid to have in there, but like the prior scenes, I think. Stole the movie. There's a latter scene where we we'll, we might explain it in a bit with, with Sandra and uh, Stephen Chow at a restaurant and her holding her upper arm, Peyton, what have you. I mean, that's as much as I love Sandra and Stephen, I think that that's a good five minutes that could have been taken out. That
1: could have been that, uh, that just grossed me out so much. That could have <laughs> just taken that whole scene away.
0: Yeah. Spontaneous question Do, do you think th- there's a gag here about Stephen Chow constantly wiping himself? Like, is it do, just because. Hong Kong is so humid and China is not you know his sweat rag.
1: I think, I think that's part of it and also again highlighting the fact that uh, it's not it's hot they're poor, they don't have air conditioning you know uh, just again focusing on on you know the, the idea that they have no money <laughs> and then they have, they have this power and this temptation you know they could live the high life.
0: But, but it's a put great use because that sweat rag, because this is a stretch of movies, as you alluded to, where the Bruce Lee influence on Stephen Chow was very evident cinematically. And in these beginning years of his comedy career, he did Kung Fu in movies, uh, comedy Kung Fu, but still Kung Fu. He did action and Stephen Chow is a martial artist. So it's not uh, a far-fetched thing, if you will. And uh, it's that whole scene, the fight scene in the alley, where he does the whole Fist of Fury punch in slow motion and the sweat rag lands on his head afterwards. It's on the theme also of extreme comedic violence in Stephen Chow's movies with... In this case, you know, Umatak getting beaten by pipes, which looks quite violent. And you even see that later on in Shaolin Soccer with the whole bottle scene where Stephen Chow gets bottled over his head. But in fact, he's not the one with the strong head. uh, Wong Yat-fei is. So it's that almost gory sense of harsh physical comedy that that I so enjoy in these movies, especially when a lot of people are beating up one person in these movies. And it's evident here in these uh, this alley fight scene uh, i don't know if it's a stretch to see the I, I mean it's quite it's not something you're comfortable necessarily with because you rarely see it him doing action and kicking and what have you and engaging in martial arts choreography but it it's it's kind of enjoyable uh i suppose it's because it's this stretch only and that will phase out you know what i mean so
1: yeah i think it's something that you know, again he, he always wants to tie back into homages to uh, things that influenced him. And he's been very vocal about, you know, Bruce Lee being a big, in, big influence on him. And so, yeah, that, that's a great scene. I, I had that marked down when the handkerchief, you know, kind of comes down after that sort of very powerful traditional shot. But um, we, we, again, get some of the ideas too because they've got the this, this, this sort of um, the punch through action that goes here as well. And uh, we'll see that again in a couple years with uh, Fist of Fury ninety one, and and so we get some things here that maybe he had already worked out in his mind stuff that he wanted to do, or maybe it came up in the course of of the shooting of this film where you know ideas got bounced around, and he said, "Hey, I want to build on this for a, a future film." Charlotte Chung looks fantastic
0: doing action in this movie, and really doesn't look at all doubled. She is really. Kicking and punching and using guns really well. Never seen her do action this well before. This looks amazing.
1: Yeah, I think I think that she she does um, pretty well here. I mean, considering again, as you said, this is the third time we've seen her, and in the first two appearances, she was kind of cannon fodder, <laughs> to put it bluntly. So it's nice that she, had, even though this, you know, this is a is actually the second film in the series, so we've kind of jumped backwards. But, uh, yeah, it is nice to, to see her you know, take on more of an action role here. The thing that I had a problem with was this whole weird love triangle that exists between her, Chow, and uh, a character played uh, by Vincent uh, Wan Ming. That whole thing, I just thought, you know, we talk about filler, there's that. I think they could have done away with a lot of that. I think they could have just played this off as, you know, a, a very straight-up, you know, infatuation and she having just no interest. I know that there's there's a couple plot hooks that come in a little bit later with regard to allegiances, but I think that that could have been easily written, been written around and they could have just done without the the love triangle. Uh, there, there's one scene, and, and also this scene could have been cut. Uh, uh, Shilia Chan, Chan Sotlan, who comes in as a bodyguard, at one point and there so you know she like gets hired on to be a bodyguard and there's an action scene that immediately follows and then we never like see her again um so it's kind of like they just needed an action scene filler and i don't know maybe she was you know had had contract with the studio or something so like yeah put her in and we'll just you know do a quick action scene here and then we'll not hear from her again another another thing that i think kind of with this movie a little bit more different than the first one is that because there's quite a bit more action i think we don't get as much focus on gambling at least that's how it feels to me um it feels like there's a little bit you know there's a mixture of here of action comedy gambling whereas the first film had that mix but the balances were different yeah you know maybe a bit less comedy um and a bit more focus on gambling and a little bit of gunplay um but here the balance is there but it's a little bit different
0: yeah, I, I suppose uh, a Wong Jing might have kept that God of Gamblers balance, but uh, I guess I have Jeff Lau and Corey Yuen here, and that it, this is elements, the, these are elements that would fit any Hong Kong movie at the time because they were so filled with could be gambling, comedy, uh, gory horror, and drama. So it, it's not surprising that they all kind of share the spotlight. Uh, but they, they're enjoyable scenes. I mean, Corey Yuen obviously did action direct as well. And uh, they, they they look uh, great. I mean, it's not extended gunplay a la a- The Killer or anything, but it it's it's fun to have it, have it in here. And uh, and uh, Vincent Wan even uh, showcases some kicking in uh, in a latter scene, which I was surprised to see because I've never seen Vincent Wan do kicking. So who knows? He might be an able martial artist, but never really done it on cinema screens anyway.
1: One, one of the other comedy bits I think uh, might be worth mentioning that people who, if they're coming to the film now, may not... Uh, pick up too much on. There's a scene where um, they bring Sandra Um out and she's dressed up as the goddess of democracy.
0: Yeah, that was uh, lost on me.
1: <laughs> this is a reference to actually the statue created in Tiananmen in 1989. And so they like bring her out and dress. she's dressed up as a statue and they play a little bit of a musical theme that was popular. And I just thought, you know, I realized that this movie was just over a year after the events of that. And they're using a comedy bit on that already. So it's like, you know, normally we think of, you know, things like this. And we always have the catchphrase, you know, oh, too soon, too soon. But I guess this was already, you know, um, you know, enough time had passed since that event that it was already ripe for comedy pickings.
0: It sounds like something Wong Jing would do first if he if he'd not done so already. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, as much as I love Wong Jing, it just feels like his character. Like, uh, hey, recent stuff, you know. The modern stuff, let's put it in there. That's funny. Paul Chunpoy, what a great gambling villain. And because Paul Chunpoy is a fantastic actor, but this design, we have a crippled or disabled gambling villain. And that's a challenge to make that feel sort of, even in a comedy, sort of fierce. And I love that contrast between his, he's got that great stare and what have you, but he's disa- disabled or crippled in, in two ways, if you will. He's on crutches, but he's got a voice box. And presumably, you know, he's had throat cancer or something at, at one point. So that's a, a standout design that I personally enjoy. And he pops up in another movie as that character, too. I think he's in the top bet. He reprises his role in the top bet. Otherwise, I don't think Chun has gone down this route again. But I, I, I love that the impact that he makes. Uh, uh, speaking with that voice, obviously, and walking around on 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 crutches. So, uh, any thoughts on chun Boy in general and this movie?
1: When I when I first got into the cinema back in the in the late 80s, early 90s, he was always come, popping up as a villain. And I don't, I think the first film I saw him where he was not a villain was the one with um Ching Wan and Anita Yun, uh, "C'est la Vie, Manchuri," where he's like her dad or her uncle and he's a musician and he was just such a different person i just remember always thinking oh this guy is such a villain he's such a such a you know a rat bastard and and you know thinking anytime he's going to be on screen he's got that you know that sort of dark presence um in lots this film and lots of other films and it was so nice to see him do sort of a happy nice guy role and and i wanted to, ever since then i just wanted you know because he's he's done some tv stuff where he's like playing the happy dad and things and i like seeing him in that much more i mean but it shows his range that he's able to to bring out you know a good broad range between playing very nice nice friendly characters and playing really just dark dark villains
0: and uh the older brother of uh... Derek Yi, and uh, I always forget who's the half-brother in that uh, uh, between Derek Yi and David Chang, or John Chang. Uh, but but uh, he's the older in that uh, show business family. They're all they're, they, Their parents were actors as well, so it, it ran in the blood, if you will. And Paul Chen often turns up in Derek Yee's. Movies in supporting roles, and that is indeed a dirty movie. Celebré mon d- 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 This movie also breaks uh, the universe rules, if you will, for, because as you remember, Paul and listeners, the God of Gamblers never has his picture taken. But uh, there's plenty of video to uh, to study for uh, Singh and Uma And that video is from God of Gamblers. They're watching his slow motion entrance into the final gambling scene, uh, picking up style tips. So the, the second movie breaks this rule as well because he has a framed photo of Chai fat on his wall. So, I mean, it, uh, his control, ko Chun's control, is clearly, uh, uh, you know, he's let that go because he's had his picture taken and his video certainly in circulation.
1: Indeed.
0: <laughs> but, but, you know, it, it's not s- something you... you um, Really get annoyed by, you know what I mean? Because it is a comedy universe. We're not talking like Marvel here or DC and Superman and Batman here. Like, uh, uh like ba- Batman and like having his mask off in one movie and on in another. I mean, uh, that would be disastrous. But here it's, it's comedy, for I sake. so. But it leads to one of the, I, I guess the greatest, uh, one of the greatest, most more memorable gags here because he's picked up style points and sing being a naive mainlander, wacky mainlander. He sees that, oh, he walks slowly into rooms. Okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha. What happens when uh, Singh meets Paul Chiu for the first time and he walks into the room? Paul, want to describe that gag a little bit?
1: Just walking very, very slowly while everybody's, of course, moving at their normal pace. (laughs) Waiting for him. And then, of course, as we mentioned, they also build on this... uh this gag with the hair gel not being somebody who has ever gelled my hair like that i don't know if, if it's like a super lard base that they're using because you know if you've seen you know chow yun fat in his slicked back hair rolls it's pretty heavy duty yeah and so they keep making reference to the fact that this stuff smells really bad so i'm wondering if it's you know is it like a is it a lard is it an animal fat base uh you know what's up with the smell and
0: maybe it disappears once it hits the hair or something like that. Because, yeah. uh, you know, sm- you, you'll look good, but you'll smell like crap. But, and, uh, maybe. I don't know either. I, I think it's Charles, uh, like, the scene where he really becomes a star in my eyes. Because he's uh, doing like a trial run gambling kind of deal with Port see, And Port wants to see if this kid has it or not. And he looks like a complete dumbass. You know, he's fumbling with cards and his look is kind of very pasted on. You know, he's not comfortable. Looking like this gambler because it's clearly his manners are very transparent and uh, I I just love him uh, Being a fool here at the table. (laughs) I love the shot where the surveillance camera tries to see uh, pick up his tricks like the surveillance camera in God of Gamblers focusing on Chai Fat touching his Jade ring. Here the surveillance camera catches Stephen Chow scratching his fire and balls. (laughs) <laughs> so, like, so way, too, way too much to me, but I, I, I think, in my eyes, this is Stephen Chow becoming a superstar, because it's just him being absolutely out of his element, not gambling very well, and trying to be this cool gambler, as very much failing at it, setting up that, at the end, he'll be a fully-fledged and, like, developed, suave
1: gambler. Yeah, I would agree. It's a great moment.
0: Yeah. So, it's a good 5 10 minutes of him just doing his thing and uh, the camera just being on him. It's great. and it's obviously very physical because of him, like, fumbling with the cards and trying to look cool. And he has his, uh, like, uh, bourbon by the side and he even, like, almost knocks that over at one point. And I'm thinking this must be either very improvised or very calculated. I want to lean towards very calculated. You can't be super random and get away with and, and create comedic gold every time. So, I think. Uh, yeah, uh, I've never really read interviews with Stephen Way. he says like, "Oh no, it's super rehearsed, everything," or "Oh no, we improvise all the time." I've never really picked up on how his uh, style uh, throughout his career works. You know.
1: Well, my I think when, especially with the stuff he's directed, uh, the the things that I tend to have read have pointed to the fact that he it's a, there's a lot of improv- improvisation that happens. But I'm wondering, like at this point in time, I mean, he's known, but he's not he's still not, you know, the Stephen Chow that uh, would, would come uh, a couple years later. So I'm wondering, again, how much, you know, you've got two directors um, at, who are there working with you as directors and actors, and I'm guessing in their mind they probably had uh, some ideas of maybe some of the silliness they wanted to play out, and maybe he improvised a little bit, but I, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, if they were really willing to give him uh, as much free reign You know, with him still being fairly new.
0: Every movie needs a montage, by the way, Paul. You know that. It's it's almost an 80s movie. So there's still that uh, convention. In this movie, when uh, Stephen Chow has fallen head over heels in love with uh, Yimong, the Charla Chung character, they go on a, like, day trip together and they will get a montage set to partially an English-language song. The chorus, like, goes, Let me hold you in the night, touch you in the night. Which happens while Stephen Chow has... uh, is happily pissing everywhere. <laughs> he, he goes, like, I gotta pee. And Sh- Charlotte Chung looks him up, and there he is peeing all over the, like, the leaves and the bushes or what have you. <laughs> Which is just him as a kid. He's a kid, this character. And he tries, do you remember how he tries to play this off when, when he is discovered?
1: Um, well, I, I know he looks back at her and then I, I don't remember what well, follows. W- well,
0: what he does is when he tries to like, he tries to be the smooth guy, so he picks up of like a branch from a bush, puts it, puts that in his mouth and gives to her. <laughs> like that would be like a rose, really. You should pick up, pick a rose. Like but he just picks up a random branch, puts that in his mouth and like, hey, hey, baby. <laughs> so I mean, yes, he's developing into the saint of gamblers, but he's a kid at heart, you know. That doesn't know like that. This is seemingly his first encounter with a woman and his first love. So he's uh, he's acting more uh, like. A teenage kid, kid or an eight, 8 to 10 year old kid here. But it's wonderful. She, she obviously thinks he's kind of cute. Uh, he, because he's not like this. Uh, he can't hit on her. It's not that suave. He's just, uh, he's just happy to be in love. And uh, he loves her mole uh, that she has in one of her armpits. And at one point, without spoiling the movie, ji disappears out of his life. And that's his fuel. And he can't operate. Uh, he can't show his powers without knowing that Ji-Mong is near him or in his life. So they, and this is the scene that I just thought uh, went on for way too long. They ask Sandra to play Yi Mong. And all she has to do while they're going to a restaurant together is to hold up her armpit. Show that she has a mole. And that will kind of just act as hypnosis for the scene character. Which is stretching this scenario so much into like lack of realism if you will. Sounds funny on paper but it's a scene that goes on for. Ages, and uh, I, I just wish that could have been taken out somewhat, and we could have gotten to the final gambling a bit quicker that way.
1: Yeah, I, there are two things for me for this scene. The, the the setup I think is great because there's this whole back and forth between Mantat and 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 Singh, where he's like saying well, you know, when she gets a little bit older, uh, you know, her eyes are going to droop a little bit. And, and so he's got this <laughs> picture of you know, and then he like pulls, a, you know, it's like a pop-up book, you know, he pulls a slot over. And so the eyes change and he says, yeah. And you know, because she's going to be kissing you a lot, her lips are going to get bigger. And he pulls it over. And so <laughs> it transforms from Charlotte Chung's picture into Sandrum's picture, which I think is, is just, it's that I, that one I love. And I think it's great. And and well done. And, and then, of course, his reaction when he when he like does the final transformation. Of course, you know he gets the uh, reaction, which is you know again that's the reaction that she was used for in a, in a lot of movies, right? Uh, but um, but then they get into this restaurant thing where she's holding up her arm, which is and he's talking to her armpit the whole time. And it's just <laughs> gross. It's just like oh, I don't want to see this. Uh, you know, can we move past this already? And but I will say this. Uh, kudos, lots of kudos to Sandra for being game for this, Yeah, right. because I think if they were trying to do get one of the young starlets today to do this kind of scene, they would not go for it, you know. And so, you know, I give her a lot of credit for, you know, the director's pitching it to her that, yeah, Stephen Chow is going to be staring at your armpit held above your head and talking to it for. You know of this of this long scene, and she, you know, she's like, yeah, okay, you know, I'm gonna show off my armpit for a good uh, five to ten minutes here. I mean, for, for once
0: it's like a variation of the gag they're not making fun of her because she's a little bit thicker or that she has no breasts or so what have you, but for what they're focusing on a different part of the body. For once, you know, <laughs> now yeah. now the armpit, but, but you know, J- Jeff Lau actually did give her an acting showcase in Founder cops too. It's a very, very dark movie, yeah. and I think Sandra is really good in that movie. It's a viciously dark movie, if you think about it. It's like, if you think Alfred Chung, like comedy director mostly, boom, on the run all of a sudden. Like a really like dark uh, dark transition that works very well. I think that's uh, an underrated uh, movie, Thunder Cops 2, which is not even a sequel to that supernatural Thunder
1: Cops movie. Yeah, but honestly, if I'm going to watch one again, I'm going to go with the supernatural one.
0: <laughs> Is there any significance to Jeff Lau playing a Taiwanese character at all, or is it just a like we have a Taiwanese character, who's gonna play? Him? Uh, uh Jeff Lau, that would be good.
1: First, I guess it's part and parcel for directors to make you know, make an appearance in their films, although the roles here were significantly larger. You know, I, I was just watching I just started watching um we mentioned last time Challenge of the Gamesters. Again, and that's uh Wong Jing's directorial debut and he he's there like right in the first scene in, in a cameo appearance you know he he always you know makes an effort to show up uh in some way shape or form in his movies, some roles larger than others, so I guess this is kind of an expected thing now the Taiwanese thing I think is interesting because ultimately what ends up happening is you have Paul Chun, who's the bad guy representing uh Hong Kong you've got Stephen Chow who's Technically, a mainlander coming and working with the guy you know from Taiwan uh, in the championship. So it's this Taiwan-China partnership um, to defeat Hong Kong, you know, in the end, which I think is a, a very interesting dynamic for this for this time period, and maybe intentional in 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 some aspects. But I think that part of it is that they're trying to establish the wealth and power of you know uh, some people during this era from Taiwan, um, in addition to Hong Kong, uh, God of gamblers, the return, you know, there's, there's, you know, they have the gambling family basically, uh, from Taiwan, but the, 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 portrayal is, is very dif- different. And the, the portrayal of a Taiwanese gambler here is, is, you know, that they have this whole gag where he doesn't look people in the eye and, you know, he either, he's always either always looking up at the sky or looking down at the ground. He doesn't make eye contact and, and uh I know that in other films it's been established that that's indicative of somebody who's not trustworthy, right that they don't make eye contact with you. Um, so maybe that's a thing here as as well that they're playing playing and, and having some fun with.
0: and uh, finally really some some of my final notes uh, the end the game uh, is more cinematic uh, because th- th- this movie feels a little bit more low budget more quick, even though Jeff Low and Coryron do. Pretty well, you know, as a movie. But the the end game, the end gambling is, is is more cinematic. It's fairly tense, but it's spiced up with some silliness. You know, one gag is Stephen Chow ha- has arrived here as the fully like evolved saint of gamblers, and he's betting all in, frustrating fortune that way. And he both pushes it, the chips in with his hands, with his feet, with his head. So there's like a mini montage of that, which is pretty funny. But uh, Coreyun and uh, Jeff Lau they're using like the tense nature of it all and the music and they like pump pump up those significant moments that need to be pumped up quite well. And uh, I'm I'm also quite semi fascinated with the fact that his ability to change cards, uh, magic, essentially. He's very open with that. You know, uh, he's not doing it on a down low scene, you know. you, you see okay, you see him holding his hands together, but it's a very open magic trick that's even more open in god of Gadra's too because it's almost like a, a duel of uh, of magic there on the table and it looks the longer it runs the more silly it looks but I, I like it it's not much to say the more you watch these gambling finales like close together in these movies as, as we do for this series but uh, I think he does it well and it's a it's it's a mix of fairly serious one and a, and a very silly one and uh, because ultimately it, it is a comedy and there's no life and true life and death on display or on the line, rather, uh, at the end. It's uh, it's all played for, for laughs, and uh, it works, I think. I enjoy it.
1: Now, the, the, the only thing, uh, just on that last scene, when he does do the change, uh, the, the card rubbing, as, as they often refer to it, as his powers evoking, you get this kind of a visual effect of, uh, energy or, or kind of like a not really smoke but smoke-like uh, wafts of energy coming off his shoulders mm-hmm. which to me always reminds me of some some of the old uh, you know black and white uh, martial arts movies when people would be using you know some kind of supernatural power or kung fu power uh, they would often do that effect with like an aura or, or these glowing lines coming off of the shoulders and I'm, I'm guessing that in in some way, shape, or form, they're making reference back to that as well.
0: It's really how they also did effects in a way. Along those lines, those uh, were the type of animated uh, superimposed effects that Hong Kong cinema could do. I mean, they, they, they will take quite a number of years before they used uh, computer effects uh, extensively. There, there were a couple of movies that tried at this time and uh, in the beginning of the 90s, but uh, it works for me. That's, uh, I, I prefer it this way, to be honest. I'm, I'm, I'm an old bad bastard like that. Uh, I'm, I'm in the moment more than a big old expensive CGI moment. Shame that, by the way, um, we get end credit bloopers here, which we get in uh, some Stephen Chow movies. Shame that uh, this last scene in the credits... Uh, where Umatat is clearly hitting on a girl It's not subtitled, but that's obviously just as you explained in the um, initially when talking of subtitles that that's kind of, they kind of once the credits
1: rolled, I don't think they gave them any any more audio. That still happens today. There, there. I mean, there are some films that are better about it, but there are still quite a few films that'll have a an end scene where the credits are, like, rolling on the right-hand side of the screen and something's still going on playing. And... A lot of times they'll choose not to subtitle it. Uh, maybe a financial decision or a last minute the editor decides to throw something in after the subtitles have already been cut.
0: and it feels like one of the more improvised scenes in the movie it's the, they, they shoot it in a corner and Nu Tat is hitting on a girl and Singh is uh, saying you know the magic words of Uncle Tat and he starts involuntary involuntary humping again, which uh, and then just leaves the frame. So it's one of those like hey let. Le- that that was funny. Let's shoot one more thing, and they they robbed and cut it. They um, had it here in, in the end credits, and that's that. I'm, I'm I'm surprised that gag didn't make God of Gamblers too. To be honest, I would have thought that Wong Jing would have exploited that, like you read about. But no, nope, uh, no involuntary humping in God of Gamblers too. Uh, right. As for availability. For the longest of time, this was absent from DVD. It was on uh, VCD and Laserdisc, I believe. But as part of their remaster line, they put out a good-looking version a few years ago on DVD. And actually, they put it out twice, because the first edition was reportedly missing a scene or two. So they corrected that and put out the new version. And thankfully, they did different covers. Uh, I believe the former cover had Stephen Chow in the share. With uh, the deck of cards and Sandra and Charla Chung beside him, you know, echoing the God of Gamblers cover with Andy Lau or poster with Andy Lau and Chaifat. And the correct version has just Chao in the share, like a close up shot of him. So, uh, but they quickly corrected that, which is uh, good on Mayor for repressing it. I mean, uh, no company wants to spend money on a repress, but hey, they did it. And uh, if you could get it uh, at the time, if you had the. Um, cover with only Stephen Chow on it, That those are. that's the full version. And uh, the, the other cover with the three people on it, that's the old version there. Uh, but now it seems out of print. And uh, you, you told me uh, off there and um, when we were mes- messaging back and forth it's, that it seems like finding this and Mayar Discs in general that are remastered seems uh, quite impossible to find in shops and what have you.
1: Yeah, there's quite a few Stephen Chow movies that are available, but none of the gambling movies are.
0: Yeah, but right, some lie with Fortune Star and uh, some of the movies he did under the banner Cosmopolitan, so they ended up at Celestial and presented as Shaw Brothers movies, so they might still be around, uh, you know, uh, Love and Delivery is one example, and uh, Lookout Officer and things like that, so maybe those are available, and they they make iTunes as well uh, as part of the Celestial uh, library on iTunes, so you can find, like, Stephen Chow movies like that, and Out of the Dark... On iTunes. Um, if you have it, uh, then, uh, then hold on to it. Uh, it's uh, it's not out there currently. So um, we'll take a break and after that, we'll confuse you even more by talking of how God of Gamblers 2 plays into the timeline and the movies, uh, how it's connected to God of Gamblers, how it's connected to All for the Winner, and why Stephen Steven Chow and Andy Lau is in it, and not Chai and Fat, and all of that good stuff. So we'll do our best in explaining. Its, uh, its existence at all, I suppose. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll take a break and listen to some more God of Gambas-esque music during the break. Welcome back, and now we're going to talk for the final movie of this episode, the second out of three. God of Gamblers 2, from 1990. Not God of Gamblers Return, again, but God of Gamblers 2, the number 2. We'll explain how it all fits into the timeline and this universe. But first of all, plot from the Love film review of the film, Stephen Chow brings his all-for-the-winner character into the God of Gamblers series. After making a ton of bucks on his own, the character of Sing played by Chow, and Uncle Tat, and again Umman Tat, decide that the best way to exploit his gambling talents is to become the apprentice of the God of Gamblers. Obviously, Chai-Fat character of uh, Korchun, However, Korchun is on sabbatical, so they have to settle for the Knight of Gamblers, which is Andy Lau returning as Knife from the God of Gamblers movie. The little tried punk has now become the Knight of Gamblers. Knife is annoyed by Singh's presence and wants to get rid of him. However, when a scummy fellow, played by Tan Latman, usurps Knife's title, he and Singh team up to win back his reputation and make, and make a lot of other people look stupid. No huge background other than I'm going to say that this was again released mid-December. That seems to be Wong Jing's preferred release date for a God of Gamblers movie. Uh, it took in 40 million Hong Kong dollars, almost on... Uh, almost exactly. So just a few months after All for the Winner, Stephen Chow scored another hit, this time directed by Wong Jing. So I'll leave it to you first, uh, Paul, to uh, share your brief opinion of God of Gamblers. So the floor is yours. What do you think of it?
1: Yeah, so first let me say, if you're not familiar with the shooting schedules of films of the mid-90s, take a moment and think about this, right? If you're somebody who's used to like, you know, oh, we get an Iron Man movie you know, once every three years, or a James Bond movie. You know, once every three years, or something. The the film we just talked about, All for the Winner, was done released in August of 1990, mid August. This film, mid December. Okay, so th- the film was a success, and at some point over those four months, they said sequel, build it into the original God of Gamblers movies, get Andy Lau on board, and 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 some of the other characters from that film, film it cut it edit it produce it release it by december and also make references to uh, a couple other movies that were out in 1990 and and i think the year before as well i mean that's just a mind blowing thing now that being said this film has problems because of that i think and and there there are a couple things i'm going to i'm going to bring up and maybe ken also spotted them that are just you know so blatant in comparison with the original god of gamblers movie there's such blatant mistakes that were being made, but I guess part of it was perhaps because they were trying to rush this thing out. They, they, had, they knew they had struck gold and they wanted to, you know, make it even bigger by this, this universe collaboration of bringing these two, you know these two films that pretty much were standalone. Um, you know, an unrelated into a related context.
0: It slowly but surely goes from very amusing and fun to eventually very assured and hysterical. And I think uh, that's the gambling finale, is, um, essentially. And uh, as as uh, Paul said, it's a follow up where Wong Jing and Stephen Chow merge for the first time, uh, not the last. Meaning we get both Chow's brand and trademarks, and we get Wong Jing's trademarks. Stephen Chow's, they're funnier trademarks, uh, but both are amusing overall, and I, I, I have fun with this, but I'm sure the details you're going to share that I might not have spotted are absolutely valid, like you read about an evening embarrassing mistakes, so but uh, f- first of all we've established a little bit how this fits into it all, but I, I thought i will try and break it down slowly that God of Gamblers 2, as Paul said, is a sequel in a way to both All for the Winner and God of Gamblers with Chai Fat and Andy Lau because uh, of the characters that merge here, uh, you know the god and the you know uh, rather the knight and the saint uh, the saint of gamblers uh, are are here and they were both established mildly as being in the same universe in all for the winner because Stephen Chow and Uma Tat are watching video of uh, of fat uh, gambling which again is footage from God of Gamblers. So here Sing meets Andy Lau's knife. It's not Andy Lau playing a different character. He's, uh, this is events taking place after God of Gamblers, and the movies, therefore, this became a sequel to both those two movies in a way. However, God of Gamblers Return, which we covered last episode from 1994, this is 1990, with uh, Chai Fat, it merely featured mentions of Sing and Knife, but had no actual appearance by them. So it's uh, Wong Jing and Chai Fat on their own, uh, and uh, but they acknowledge that they're part of the same universe, if you will. But there's, there's also the 1991 movie by the directors of All for the Winner, uh, Jeff Lau and Corey Yoon, uh, called it The Top Bet, that features a newly shot cameo with Stephen Chow taking place directly after the events of All for the Winner. He's in his white costume, but it's a two-scene cameo only. He appears at the beginning, then appears in the end, like, with all his clothes torn and what have you, so he's had a mighty adventure <laughs> that we never know of. I, I don't think it ties into God of Gamblers 2 or any other movies. it's just... Uh, what happened to him? You know, it looked like he'd been mauled by some animal or something. But uh, and, and I think the top bet is, suppose, with Anita Moyer in the lead, I suppose she was maybe Singh's sister in the top bet. Do you remember that offhand point?
1: Th- I think she's his cousin. I- I could be the sister. It's been a while. We're definitely up for a rewatch.
0: you got a star vehicle here, despite the absence of Chai, Fat, uh, regardless if they pushed for him to appear in this movie or not, Uh, but uh, Andy Lau was a big enough star, obviously Stephen Chow, you know, a newly made star in Hot Property, so it's not like this movie is missing a crucial third ingredient and falls flat on his face, or maybe it does, you know, you'll explain that, but let's talk a little bit about the opening cameo by Kirk Wong, and that is the director, Kirk Wong, of various movies such as Crime Story, Gunman, Organized Crime and Trial Bureau. And he acted occasionally, and he was always well-suited for a loud bad guy or a villain in movies. I think he played a villain in Long Arm of the Law 3 versus Andy Lau, and I always enjoyed him being on screen because he was that typical villain, loud and always with a maniacal laugh, you know, and he, he insults Andy Lau. You know, maybe we'll call you the like the gambling shit or the shit of gamblers. Ha 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 ha! You know, and that, that's enjoyable to me to uh, to see Kirk Wong be so uh, alive on screen, if you will.
1: But yeah, it's always good to see good to, good to see you know cameos of people you know and recognize from other work.
0: Yeah, especially when he often favoured like being more uh, darker characters or you know, bad guys. You know, Wong Jing would turn up, but not as the movie's villain. He's the triad heavy, but rather like a silly silly supporting role, main role, or cameo. You know, you know, as in God of Gablis, he, he was a customer at the Love Motel. That, that was his hardcore role, if you will. Like, uh, not very like manly and tough and triady, but rather a guy who's bought some services,
1: if you will. Well, he's got an even smaller part this time, although he's referred to twice. Oh,
0: my God. Oh, my God. I think I missed his cameo. I know he's referred to as a female character called Wong Jing, but is he actually in it? I missed him.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's in it. He's in it.
0: But it it must have been, by the way, fun uh, if you try to put yourself in the audience's mind to see these two worlds merge. uh, It's the best of both worlds. Like, that movie we like. That movie we saw, like, two months ago. That we like. Like, Let's go. But I guess we can bring in your, so to say, problems in terms of their, their sloppy their sloppy filmmaking or sloppy details here. As much fun as that is, that concept of these two worlds merging, do you want to start us off in terms of how they didn't merge it well, if you would?
1: Well, a couple of things. So first of all, they start to expand out and break some of the rules, as you already mentioned in our first discussion. There's the, the one of the opening scenes when we see Singh with his uncle, they're chatting in front of a massive photo of Chow Yun Fat in their living room wall. Yeah, it's not the back image that we that's been established in the first and and God of Gamblers returns. This is like a full frontal kind of shot of him sitting down gambling. So they're they're already going against that rule. But okay, whatever, you know. The the other thing that, that starts to happen too, as I mentioned, is they start to uh, expedite Singh's use of powers into lots of different areas. I mean when we left him off at the f- first film, the idea was that he could only, you know, use his power significantly to change cards once, and then he'd have to rest for like a long period to recover his power. And by the end of this film, of course, he's just going balls to the wall, nutso, with using his power in all different kinds of of, of varieties. But it makes for comedy gold. So, all we right, right, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll say, all right, he's expanded his power base and you know, of course, this is going to be taken to a massive extreme by the time we get to the third film, um. But yeah, we'll save that for the for the next episode. But technically, there's um there's uh, some problems, and perhaps the most standout problem for me, um, is very early on. Um, there's a scene where uh, there's a shoot, the first shootout. Okay, is happening in in Knife's home, and a bunch of villains have come. You know, like they always do, and and uh, fortunately. Knife um, is there with Long Un, his, you know, uh, Chow Yun-fat's bodyguard is there to protect him. And, of course, they're both in Speedos, these one-piece Speedos, which I guess were popular at the time, you know. it's So they start running around having a shootout in their Speedos. Now, Long Un goes into this one room, which looks like a kitchen, I'm not really sure, but it had pots and pans in it. And he reaches up, and he's in his black Speedo, his bathing suit, and grabs a shotgun. The very next scene, a one of the villains comes in, kicks open the door, and he's there in a full white jumpsuit now. And he blasts the villain, um, you know, to the ground. So not only did he grab the shotgun, but he took the time to do a wardrobe change in mere moments as the villains are coming and chasing him down.
0: Now that's a bodyguard.
1: Yeah. Now, So, I mean, obviously, there might have been some footage that, you know, showed him doing an actual costume change but it's just such a sloppy edit at that point um it makes you wonder what happened did they forget to do that Where did they start out shooting uh the action scene one way and forgot that they had established that these characters were initially running around you know because a lot of the stuff you know is not shot in proper order so you know the but you know, obviously the continuity person was having a sick day.
0: And, and and you can also, by the way, to put even more context into this, you can also expect that Wong Jing was nowhere near the set here, because you've heard stories of him rather being on his own, writing gags and laughing to himself while the action director took care of the action, and that's absolutely fine. And, uh, because the action director is really the king when it comes to action, you know, and calling the shots and, uh, and working with the cinematographer rather than always going to the to the director for approval, so you can you you can be fairly sure that Paul Wong Kwan directed these scenes, and uh, Wong Jing was you know responsible for the scene with Charles Hung in his former wardrobe. And then Paul Wong didn't know anything about what he had on before, so maybe he just put him in a different wardrobe. Who knows?
1: But you know that's probably the most blatant. Um... Uh, scene. And again, we are pointing to the fact that productions during this period are are super rushed. I mean, just to put a little bit further into context here, because uh, we were talking about the first film, All for the Winter, kind of being the film that really launches um, Stephen Chow. You know, looking at just the number of films he made, in 1989, he had, I think, three releases. 1990, he does 11. So that just shows that during this time period, he is, you know, being launched like by a catapult and and just the number of things he's working on now not all of those were you know were full on leading roles for him but even so that's a massive amount of work that he's doing and it's not just him i mean Andy Lau during this period is doing a massive number of films and people are just getting all kinds of work and at the same time especially people like Andy Lau they're not just having a, you know film career they're doing a musical career as well and and everything that's going on. So, when I look at the films of this period, I'm much more forgiving than I would be of a film today where they are much more back into sort of Hollywood mode of doing things where they take, you know, shooting over a couple months rather than a couple weeks and, you know, post-production and pre-production both have longer stints where, you know, people are working on things and making decisions. So, even though this has problems, I'm still so very forgiving of it and it's still such a a fun film for me to watch despite uh you know the, these kinds of issues
0: but i, I thoroughly agree and I, I i never i'm the worst person to pick up these things though like continuity errors and stuff uh, if unless they're very very evident like a character changing hair color and having glasses on between shots and not glasses in other shots uh but but still i thoroughly agree and i i can put it aside And we we go back a little to the Stephen Chow uh, Umantat scenes. And it's really a reprisal of my notes, I guess. Because I think their exchanges, because we see them in their little house, they won money, but they've donated it to charity. So they're not living the life now in a big mansion or anything. They're still in their little house. Uh, Just them, though, and not a Koryun uh, and uh, uh, Sander-like reprisal of their characters. They're not in this movie. Uh, But uh, Umantat has, um, at least for the day or night has lives with a prostitute that is called Wong Jing. Ha ha ha. I thought, I think he knew that was so clever. I've named it after me.
1: Yeah. Which is which is also kind of disturbing because if I read the scene correctly, um, he's getting ready to go in to the room with her to to do the deed. And then he's also like saying to you know his nephew saying, oh yeah, you're next, right? It's like, <laughs> what? You know, and, and if, but of course, nothing happens because you know uh, there's a lesson here about uh, using the use, using the money for gain or something, and yeah. and, and causing problems, and that sort of plays out as the lesson. But we, I, I did mention that Wang Jing is actually in the film. There's a a scene a little bit later. I think it's Stephen Chow or maybe it's Uncle uh, says a bit of a foul language, and um, a guy is like in a bathroom area, and he sticks his head out, and he says, "Oh, are you talking to me?" And um, that's Wang Jing in that very brief sort of one shot.
0: But but yeah, their, their banter is quite, quite solid. I mean, even the subdued stuff, as I said, where they're not like just shouting at the shower, but rather just, you know, trading dialogue. And it's really enjoyable. And, uh, the, and it leads into them uh, conjuring up the plan that they need to make a video. Like a video what? A video. Because Steven Chow doesn't know what a video is. For God of Gandalf. So, <laughs> first, I mean, you, you you gotta go into the gag, I, lo- I love it. First, like, we see a POV shot of, uh, you know, Umantat operating the camera, where Stephen Chow tries to make a heartfelt, like, plea to God of Gamblers. Like, M- you know, my family is lost and dead and what have you. Uh, that doesn't really play well with Uncle Tat. He doesn't think, like, you haven't got the emotions, man, to pull this off so you see... Uncle Tad to do it instead. So you, you got an amusing little video going on there. But that's not the funnier bit. The funnier bit is when they change tack from heartfelt to full on cocky. But, <laughs> you know, like the prostitute comes back in, in another scene because instead they think that kochun will listen if we come at this with confidence and and really saying that we don't really need you. But hey, if you want to take us on, that's fine. So, so, I mean, in, in your words, uh, what do you want to say about Stephen Chow shooting his uh, cocky video and being fed noodles by
1: by the prostitutes? I for this for for me this scene was a little bit over the top with the noodles thing because I you know I get that they're wanting to be cocky but at the same time it's like he can't get the noodles in his mouth <laughs> and it's just like you know well it's even worse than sloppy, like he's sloppier than my two year old <laughs> it's like come on.
0: <laughs> Well, I think that shows their misguidance that they they think that oh, well, you know I'm be I'm I'm so great I'm be fit like check this out and I don't even care if I get it into my mouth like hey I'm 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 God of Gamp- I'm 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 Knight of gab Gamp- or, or Saint of gamb as well so I I love that and I love the little bit where he I I think it shows Stephen Chow really not pouring pouring it on verbally but it's him just talking and talking and continually talking where he shows like I have card tricks uh, you no know, check this ace out and he starts to rub the card. He opens it up, and the ace is still the same. It's just crumbled. I call this a twisted ace. I'm cocky. I can do whatever I want. So I think that's a wonderful, a wonderful bit for uh, for Steven. Uh, a bit of a rewind moment for me. Uh, because it doesn't suit him. Just like in All for the Winner. like this, uh, he, he is a kid, kind of at heart. And this adult exterior doesn't really suit him. He can't transfer smoothly into it, despite having done so once during the ending of All for the Winner. He's still evolving if you will but it doesn't really work i think it's just annoying uh, for where it does reach and allow this video but he finds them rather annoying rather than uh, someone to uh, someone to take in if you will so so that's kind of I, I don't know some minor mentions of the fact that some cast from god of gambler's return and uh, not not from god of gambler's return but from the original god of gamblers they appear in this movie as well uh, you got uh knife's uh only his friend the only one that he's kind of a boss uh, boss 2 uh, Jonathan Wong turns up uh, Luk Chun the Japanese gambler that Ko Chun uh, gambled on behalf of in the first God of Gamblers returns here uh, briefly as well as well as the Indian fellow from the first movie who's not portrayed as Indian in this movie Yeah, I think they save his from Iraq
1: Yeah, or Kuwait actually because he's got to go back and fight Saddam <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's Wong Jing doing here. That thing of uh, re- referencing things that are in the news and what have you. And that that was always to me either like semi-smoothly integrated or just unbearable to watch because it's, sometimes it's just Wong Jing mentioning one thing and trying to pass that off off as modern satire, if you will. But in his case, the um, that character, it's not as uh, like excruciating to watch because it kind of has a minor purpose and motivation for the. For the action, for for the characters later in the movie, but uh, it's um, they they uh, they try to echo as much as they can here without getting the entire uh, cast uh, back, including China. but But uh, it's a little throwback to to the first movie that either matters for you or doesn't matter for you. But uh, it's um, it uh, we we become we are familiar with uh, that setting, if you will, that old house. Uh, but but he's kind of a prick, uh, little knife, you know. Uh, he's uh, He's moved into the house on the top of the hill and it's the, like the first subtitles of the dialogue uh, seems to indicate that he doesn't care if he left his girlfriend and friend behind. I'm rich now. So you, you got that hurdle to come over, to like overcome House character again, uh, I suppose. Uh.
1: It's a shame that Joy Wong uh, couldn't you know, reprise her role. Uh, as his girlfriend, and but they, you know, I guess fill the gap by bringing in Um's uh, sister, uh, played by uh, Monica Chan, who plays Lung Kao. Is, I, I guess she's a police Interpol or something, um, or, or she's with some kind of official organization, not just a bodyguard, but, you know, it gets she, she comes in as sort of a semi-romantic foil for Knife. In, in terms of the merging of the two worlds, really it, it seems like they just bring over... Uh, Stephen Chow and Mantat though, because we don't get Sandrum or Koryun or um, any of the people like that he was living with. But we do get a lot more people from the original God of Gamblers film. I guess that's a little disappointing for me because I would have liked to have seen, you know, kind of like a just a brief, where are they now? What are they doing? You know, how are they treating each other? Um, But I know that they had a lot of other stuff that they wanted to focus on, obviously, you know, gambling and and, and gunfights.
0: And then in terms of Joey, Joey Wong, she was probably busy filming some semi-Chinese ghost story copy.
1: Yeah. Think about it. They had four months. They had to get this thing. You know, I I'm, i can't imagine they were planning to do this before they figured out Offer the Winner was a huge success. So that movie, you know, over the four weeks, August to September, big success. Now they're saying, oh, we've got to get on this. And I'm sure her schedule was big pretty full and and so were many others so that probably played a a big part in in who we see and who we don't yeah the whole thing with the the i guess kuwaiti individual in 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 question i i I guess also because tan lapman's character is called hussein um although they in in they they call they spell it with an o in the subtitles but they do actually refer to Saddam Hussein later, and they spell it with a U. I don't know. They're trying to parallel him as, you know, like a super bad guy, and Hussein was like the super bad guy of the early 90s.
0: And and also and also he's related to the uh, final uh, gambling foe of Chai Fats in the first movie. He's the foster son, I suppose. Uh, yes. He's the foster father of Tan Lapman's uh, Hussein.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and, and Singapore uh, Chan, I think is his name, or... And and we see him in in jail, and but of course we've already seen him in God of Gamblers: The Return, and the 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 very unfortunate thing that ends up uh, happening to him.
0: That actor was so willing to uh, continue his character, if you will, for these three movies. Uh, let me ask you two quick, uh, one quick thing, and another uh, maybe lengthier thing: Is um, the Chinese word for ace and cigarette the
1: same? Uh, the the slang for it at least is so. Yeah, that that gag that comes out. I don't know if it's. I don't think it's the same. It's the same sound, but I don't think it's. It's not the same character. So
0: because he's going to put out four aces, and he does, and there are four cigarettes instead out of his pocket. So yeah, there it is. But how do you think Andy Lau and Stephen Chow work together?
1: I think they're great. Uh, I'm a huge fan of. I was a huge fan of Andy, Andy Lau before I knew Stephen Chow, but uh, I love. Uh, I loved seeing them together in this, and I think that the what is the other movie they do? Uh, Tr- Tricky brains. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I equally love as well. Um, I think they have a a good rapport, a good kind of back and forth. You know, Stephen Chow bringing uh, the funny, and Andy Lau can be funny, but he still has that sort of suave, young Andy-ness to him uh, during this period that um, was always something that I looked forward to seeing.
0: But no no one is overshadowing shadowing each other. I think they work so well as a team and respond. Mainly you can say Andy Lau responds to Stephen Chow, but he does it very well. He's very funny and he... He has great uh, comedic uh, reaction, uh, reaction style and timing You're working with Steven, I think. Uh, so uh, no wonder they got put into another movie.
1: I mean, they don't work. They don't do much together in this movie. But of course, uh, Mantat and uh, Andy Lau in their classic pairing in A Moment of Romance from um, uh, a bit earlier in the year, if I remember the time release correctly. Yeah, amazing on screen for, for, for both of them.
0: And Umatat was in God of Gamblers, playing a different character. So here you go again. Charlotte Chung will will appear in this one, playing a different character. So it, it's nothing that uh, the Hong Kong audiences will uh, find confusing there or um, like uh, unacceptable. It's just this. It just is, you know. And if they're appealing performers, then what else? You know, if they died in the first movie, why not bring them back as a different character, twin or not? <laughs> you know, you you talked about Wong Jing. A recent Wong Jing here and on your podcast. Uh, I mean, you love him and I do love him too, but you alluded to that his more recent streak of at least directed movies, they approach more going on repeat that is more up for criticism. Whereas at this time, it was a bit easier to swallow because the movies were better, even though some of them used the same tools of the trade, if you will. So, so I want to talk a little bit about Wong Jing now versus then, if you will.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that. Um... It's the, the, the problem with with um, Wang Jing today is that he's kind of on auto mode a lot of the time. Not I won't say all of the time, but a lot of what ends up getting put out there is is very low budget, and a lot of it, especially because I tend to prefer uh, his comedies more than than his uh, like say his gangster pieces or, or these kind of things. A lot of the what he ends up doing in his comedies is 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 very repetitive. Now it's stuff that we saw, you know, back in, you know, how to pick up girls and and uh, you know the romancing star stuff. If you've seen that stuff, you know he's on repeat mode with a lot of stuff. He's just doing it with different actors and different starlets now. Uh, some things come to mind, you know, where you get you get the crazy uh, the crazy spiked drink where you can only take like three or four steps and then you pass out or something. The super Spanish fly that makes, you know uh, you know, people go out like what was the uh, flirting in the, in the air, you know, it's a perfect example. Um, you know, it's got, you know, Dada Chen, big starlet right now, uh, Chapman toe and, you know, pitting them together. But again, you know, Charlie Cho's in it, you know, it's got a very good cast for this kind of a thing. But some of the set pieces are stuff, you know, we've seen before. Charlie Cho being lecherous. How is he going to be lecherous? Oh, uh, you know, now they've got people stuck in, you know, they used some kung fu move and now he can't move and he's kind of stuck in the same position. And, oh, here's this thing. they People drink it and they get all hot and they must have sex immediately. You know, um, we've seen that stuff done dozens of times uh, over the years. and And so a lot of it is just, you know, him kind of pulling from his traditional bag of tricks. And I know that a lot of it is because he's farming this stuff out to all the different channels that are out there demanding content. You know, you've got multiple movie channels. You've got the the the, back, the, the, the aftermarket hotels and, and airline sales and stuff. And so, you know, at the end of the day, in terms of doing that kind of producing, you're looking to make money. You're looking at it from the business standpoint. And so it's, it's like manufacturing. You know, the, the creative side, I think, is kind of, been pushed slightly to the side mm-hmm. in, in favor of the manufacturing side you know our, from an artistic point a critic will look at that and go oh that's just terrible you know Wang jing's crap but my perspective has always been he has first of all launched careers andy lao's chow yun fats Stephen chow's you know he's responsible for a lot of these big names that that you know, that we enjoy. Maggie Chung was a Jing girl, right? Not only has he done that, but he's just made so many movies. He's kept people in the business working in the business. And that's something I admire and will continue to respect, um, you know, going forward, no matter how many crappy movies he makes, because he's helping people make a living in the movies. And that's the dream of a lot of people. Uh, I'll, I'll be happy to debate anybody who wants to talk to me about the merits of. A Wong Kar Wai, you know, from an artistic standpoint, sure, Wong Kar Wai, you might love him. The The festivals love him. But how many jobs has Wong Kar Wai created when he only does a movie like every five or six years, right? Yeah. No. Um, so from that aspect of art versus the aspect of production, I think we have two different viewpoints, and I'm on the side of production. And, you know, of course, you make a 1,000 movies, not all of them are going to be good, um, and that's a given. But some of them are, and I like a lot of them, so... Do you think today's
0: that he doesn't have an equal amount uh, or 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 as big of a talent pool placed into it as well? Uh, I mean, you you mentioned that he's kind of farming it out and going on autopilot, but does it go, come down to the fact that we don't have the performance we had twenty years ago?
1: Well, that might be part of it, but I think it's a different it's a different market than it was. I remember I had the fortune to hear him talk at the Hong Kong Film Archive uh, a couple of years ago, and and I actually. I I usually don't speak up in 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 these kinds of forms, but I, I, I asked him a question, and I said, can I please you know ask in English, and I don't care if you respond in Cantonese because I can I can understand what you're saying. I just don't know how to phrase it. And he said, sure, sure. He was very gracious. And basically, I asked him. I said, you know, what is the future of Hong Kong films? When you've got censorship in China and you've got so many people going to work there and you can't make ghost movies and you can't make movies where the bad guy gets away with crime and all these restrictions. And he said, well, you know, directors are just going to have to either learn how to work within that system if they want to keep making movies or they're not going to make movies. Mm-hmm. And he said, it, you know, and he said it very straightforward. He said, look, it's a business. And, and if you're going to be in it to, to be artistic, that's great. But if you're going to be in it to make people money who are investing in your films – then you're going to have to play by certain rules. The market's changed. The market used to be that you could send stuff, make stuff for Hong Kong. The Hong Kong people would support it and you had a bunch of diasporic markets that would support it. You know, uh, uh, people in Canada, people in the United States who would be buying these things and watching them in midnight movies like I was and stuff. And that's not the case anymore. And he says now the market's China and so you've got to work within that framework and if you're not willing to, then you're not going to be able to make movies like we used to.
0: One framework he works within in this movie, uh, which is very mildly plotted. I mean, it's a fairly long movie, 105 minutes, and it takes a while to get going. But we don't mind that. It's pretty funny along the way with Stephen Chow and Umatad trying to meet Ko Chun, you know, and uh, doing silly stuff along the way. But I've always liked that Wong Jing seemingly always let Stephen Chow put his humor on screen rather than cutting him off and uh, taking over and making Wong Jing brand of humor. They weren't necessarily the same. And I, I, I like that Wong Jing's movies are very much Stephen Chow movies as well. A lot of them are. And uh, this one, you know, included. And uh, maybe Wong Jing could have done silly stuff like this new power of uh, things, this the rapid hypno- hypnosis that he possesses. Uh, because at one point there are, are uh, sneaking and they're outside knife's house and knife can hear something and he opens up the curtain to reveal them and you see steven chow there with his hand and the uh, finger on his head uh, saying you can't see me you can't see me you can't see me you can't see me and knife can't and seemingly sing has this rapid hypnosis that he knows very well all of a sudden with uh, <laughs> i thought it was like an invisible power that he triggered by saying "You can't see me, you can't see me, you can't see me." <laughs> that will come back for the ending, that hypnosis. So that that's quite funny, and I always felt like he uh, he trusted Stephen Chow to provide his brand, and uh, that they could kind of stall the movie every now and again and, and enhance and extend it rather to a 100 minute plus running time, and they, it happens to be funny, and that's why it happens to be uh, acceptable too that it's uh, that it runs that long because. Uh, You would think like 90 minutes is probably suitable for it, but hey, I don't mind the extra 15 at all, and uh, and, uh, especially when the ending, in my mind, is uh, quite good. You alluded to one action scene, I just wanted to highlight the fact that I think Andy Lau, in that whole um, gunplay scene in the house, either runs through a partially already broken window, or fully through... A window uh, with uh, weakened glass, if you will. Because you see from the side a stuntman seemingly running through the window, breaking it, and then a quick cut to Andy Lau halfway through that window and uh, glass shards all over the place. But regardless, there are that's a moment, and there are moments in, in the action scenes here where Andy Lau is really going to town and uh, being the stuntman and uh, engaging himself in the action As much as he can, which is a great aspect to his um, performances around this time. He uh, was very visible in even the swordplay movies with the wires and what have you. Andy Lau was there for as much as he could rather than a close-up shot of him landing or anything. You know what I mean? So I I admire that in Andy that he he got that um, uh, drive and seemingly was never injured at least uh, seriously doing all this stuff for a couple of years.
1: Yeah, absolutely, uh, and it, that carries over from the first uh, God of Gamblers.
0: Yeah, definitely, but both in terms of gunplay and uh, actual martial arts, and uh, that's. Uh, uh, but but we get we get some fantastic stunts. As someone is thrown out of a window, and takes a huge slow motion fall onto a piece of the fake grass that a Knife has around his house. But it's still a huge fall, and he bounces as well. And it doesn't look like a mattress he bounces into. It looks like a fairly hard. Surface that that stuntman has to uh, hopefully survive, and uh, those are th- those are great to have in slow motion. I love when it's regular speed as well because just boom oom, but here it's like oh boom oom. Yeah, Pl- plenty of shotgun action and squibs rig- rigged up on uh, on stuntman. So it, it, that that feeling, that heroic bloodshed feeling, is uh, a vibe. Is something I always enjoy because that that's how I got into Hong Kong cinema through these type of action movies, and I still like that. Uh, comfort feeling, if you will. Even in a comedy this has its place but Stephen Chow and Umatad never engaged in it with two guns or anything. They are kind of oblivious in one scene to to what the gun play is about. Like, wow is it really Chinese New Year? And then Umatad gets shot and they don't quite understand that either. Does it hurt? Oh yeah. Hmm. <laughs> and and then a couple of guys come, come from behind them and then they realize that they're in trouble. So, uh, But that leads you into Charlotte Chung playing her fourth character for a fourth Moving this series, so wh- who is she? I mean, uh, and who does Stephen Chow think
1: she's? Yeah, so this time she's instead of Yi um, Yimong, she's mong Lo, or Dreamy Lo, I guess, and uh, she is a lookalike that uh, Hussein has. Uh, miraculously, she owes a debt to Hussein, <laughs> and so he's going to use her to uh, trap Stephen Chow uh, by getting her to pick up his uncle. When you think about this in terms of a narrative plot, all right. Now, let's, let's roll it back here. Yes, he's the godson of Singapore Chan, who's in jail. So he wants to get revenge on Ko chan god of gamblers, and his disciple, the knight of gamblers, uh, played by Andy Lau. Okay, that makes sense, right? You know, th- th- there's perfect connection. But how does he even plan that, you know, Stephen Chow is going to be in the picture? Uh, you know, how has how, how he, he had the foresight? for this, that the two of them are going to gonna gonna even team up together, because this all seems to have been set in motion uh, long before the two of them have even met. Now, I guess we could assume that since they won the last gambling competition that he figures that Singh is going to be a threat at some point in the future, and so that maybe he's taking preparations for that time, and that, that time just happens to come sooner rather than later as the two of them seem to be teaming up. But technically... He wasn't even on the radar, right? When uh, his 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 godfather or his adopted father, uh, foster father, however we want to call him, uh, went into jail at the end of the first uh, God of Gamblers film. Um, so he's well prepared for that. And let let me say, Tan Lap Man I think is great as the villain here. He's oh, just yeah. so smarmy, and he's a regular villain in 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 Wang Jing films. I mean, I, one of the other films that I really like. Um, for around this time is, is the uh, romantic comedy dances with Dragon and he's kind of like a, he's not really a bad guy in that one, but he's kind of like a, a potential threat uh, romantically in, in one scene and you know he just has so much marm and it's very interesting because if you look at him today, he looks different. He doesn't look like this guy anymore. Huh. Um, he, you know, he has a he has a very different look. He he last showed up in um, the Gigolo, um earlier this year. He's like the, the retired king of gigolos, and he's going to train uh, the young new kid now. Um, he also shows up quite frequently on you know, TV TVB dramas. He has a mustache now, and so he just looks he has a very different look to him. You can still kind of see. You know the smarmy guy there, but um, uh, it, it, he plays very different roles now,
0: and, and and a good villain for category three movies as well. Like very smarmy, very slimy, very like, <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, he, he, he was game for those uh, roles. You know, obviously got uh, got uh, to do some scenes scenes with some very nude actresses and to be quite heinous in certain roles as well.
1: Yeah, but back to back to poor Charla. She's a uh, she's she's gone from the as we said the the, the super kick butt actionist hero of the last film to now this basically um she's a honey trap um in in this film and no no real action sequences of note and and not actually a lot of screen time uh she does have quite a bit of screen time with um the mantat you know again trying to get under the uh get 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 into the skin of of these two characters and, and and mess them up which is another issue with this film so This seem this may seem strange because, and it's still strange to me. I don't have my head fully wrapped around it um, linguistically. So, one of the things that can cause a person with supernatural power to lose their power is if they swear using foul language. Okay, but throughout the film, if you follow the subtitles, you see Sing using foul language all the time because that's what the subtitles have translated out. So. I, I, Of course, I recognize Cantonese foul language, so sometimes some words which will be translated to English foul language are not considered foul language in Cantonese, right? They're considered darn or shoot or something, I guess. But they get translated out as like some serious foul language. So it's very confusing as you watch this film and you see that he is swearing up what seems to be like he's swearing up a storm sometimes, but he's not. And so even for me, like I still, there are words that seem like they should be swear words in Cantonese that you'll hear kids say. And I'm like, okay, so that's not really that bad of a word if little kids are saying it right, right? Or are they really just bad kids? I'm still not sure, you know, because it's it can be very confusing sometimes.
0: Uh, just some minor notes before we kind of get to the finale, Shin Foyon returns as Brother Cow. Knife engages him in uh, another Scam, if you will, and it brings another dumb cousin, as he said. <laughs> Stephen Shaw appears with a massive bow tie to look really stupid, and uh, it's a it's a whole 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 deal where he only transforms, uh, half co- uh, half of cards, and uh, they manage to get around that uh, in the end for some reason. That half card t- turning into an ace, half an ace, they managed to save their bacon in the end, I suppose. But hey, it was fun to see Shin Doesn't look like he's moved from that set. He's got the same. Costume as he had in God of Gamblers, he obviously still looks the same as just a year later, but it's a is a nice reprisal because I like to see on uh, come back. Let's mention some brief points about the gambling finale, which is a pretty long one because it has a lot of comedy surrounding it, not not just gambling. I think it's the best section of the movie. Obviously, it's not easy to conjure up gambling finale magic twice, but by having Stephen Chow here, there's room for to lean on uh, some sillier sides as well as well as him being. Silly and knife dealing with the gambling, if you will, because he uh, enters it uh, kind of disgraced, but uh, he wants to get back at Tanlap Man, and he gets like can I borrow ten dollars? And I'll make enough money to enter the charity game that he's holding, and it's like twenty-five million dollars Hong Kong, and he says, sure, like ten dollars, what are you gonna do with that? And I-, I love this, se- I love this setup, really, because it just gets increasingly sillier and sillier. When they work as a because they work as a team here, Stephen Chow and Andy Lau, and uh, we without we won't go into the gags send, you know necessarily all of them because we don't want to spoil it for you. But in general, I think it's is so entertaining, even hysterically funny, the sides that they come up with here. So uh, maybe I'll mention one or two. But
1: yeah, it's a, it's an interesting sequence and it builds nicely. You would think that you've got these two big celebrities and who you're going to spend more time focusing on and what are they going to do, especially when you've got a person like Stephen Chow who's, you know, got this supernatural power, which seems like it would drastically imbalance things. So what do they do? They bring in another supernatural character to kind of change the balance. And so we get the introduction of a character called a Tycoon, who we will see again, uh, played by John Ching who's got the freaky eye, which works very, very well for this. But then here, as I said, they start to get into some extreme uses of the supernatural power. So when we started, it was, okay, I can see through cards and through some other stuff. And then if I exert my power, I can, you know, I can change the cards through rubbing, but now we can do more than that. We can change the cards through rubbing uh, multiple times. And I can, you know, uh, manipulate the dice telekinetically and, on top of all that, we've got this thing that you've already mentioned, which is giving a uh, sort of a supernatural illusion to people. Um, and so uh, Tycoon gets the upper hand and he throws Stephen Chow into an illusion from an earlier film from earlier in the year. That is uh, from Swordsman.
0: Oh, really? So so it is a recent parody. And I thought like maybe it goes back to TV or just the genre tropes. But uh, OK, gotcha.
1: No, that's that's the it's the famous uh, the the famous singing scene from Swordsman. And then um, uh, he, he, he himself gets thrown into his own uh, his own movie parody a little bit later, which um, I could not place, but I think Kenneth has nailed it with um, the movie A Terracotta Warrior from uh, a year before in
0: 1989. Which is a fairly, it's quite a forgotten movie. It's like starring Gong Li and Shang Yimou. The director Shang Yimou starred in it. Uh, but I, I, I like that Wong Jing, if it was indeed his idea, possibly conjure up the fact that, hey, I like Terracotta Warrior. Let's uh, put John Ching in Gong Li's place, essentially, and all the fire in the background of a long garment. Because uh, Stephen Chow manages to uh, put the hypnosis power on John Ching instead, which is a great little, little bit, the way they change it. Uh, I, I love uh, one of the more like common stills, I think, of uh, Stephen Chow from this scene, is when he's under the spell, because he's playing this uh, this violin, all uh, time instrument, and when they come out of it, you see what he's doing in real life, and he's got a woman's shoe and a woman's leg, and going la 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 la, 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 la. <laughs> and he's got lipstick all over his face from a prior encounter with uh, the Charla Tune character, because he's all energized now uh, as uh, as uh, sing but <laughs> I love that because. It's you don't expect it coming out of the illusion that he that that's what he's done, and knife is just like, What else is going on? La, 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 la. <laughs> so, I like those asides, they're very like frantic, but obviously, not um, you're not reliant on getting the movie reference necessarily. Uh, it's great if you can, but. The gag is that is some woman is some woman is being essentially molested by him, you know.
1: And of course, the scene, the, the scene we have to, have to mention the scene just before then when he's um he's trying to rescue I guess uh, his his uncle and um and Lom he ends up bumping into the the to the lookalike Yimong character and she helps recharge him and then it, there's a fight sequence where he's using plungers Bruce Lee style as nunchucks that is um, uh, also very, very funny, um, as, you know, if you understand the context and, and his uh, affinity for, for Bruce Lee. So as he did in the first film, he's paying homage here as well in a, in a quite nice action sequence, but also works works on a level of comedy that's very good in this film.
0: Yeah, and the, the whole, like, my last note on the finale, the whole, like, they, they come up with the genius idea of, like, let's play it up, and that's why, that's that way, John Jean can't put his spell on both of us, so you get get this like massive overhead shot of them running around in uh, in high speed, you know, get, gambling here, gambling there, gambling there, and making up the uh, and making the money he needs to to enter the final game. Just a quite quite a hysterical ending because I think it it all it all hits me quite well uh, with uh, Andy being funny and uh, being very suave and confident at the. Uh, gambling table you know he's redeemed himself a little bit now now he's got the skill even he's got the, like the super hearing skill there and uh, they both can hear that uh, what the dice uh, what the dice are one can see through the whole uh, can, can see through the container that the dice are are in and uh, one can hear it so it's like a fine little team up here that uh, reaches its crescendo by the end of the movie and uh, i like it it's good fun and especially when you think of the fact that it's quite a long movie. This last 20 minutes or so makes it go really fast because it's uh that, like this fairly frantic assault of uh, of gags and uh, Wong Jing lets Stephen Chow be Stephen Chow and uh, gets Andy Lao in on the games as well the comedic games and it's all good. I wonder though, and this is a major spoiler if you haven't, we kind of alluded to it, but I'm not gonna. I am not going i do not care if I spoil it. I wonder where the footage of Chow Fat, where that's from. It's not from God of Gamblers. It definitely he 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 comes out of a limo. Uh, and they see him. Oh, master has arrived. He's clearly from somewhere else. Chang Fatty is not in this movie. You know, it's from
1: somewhere else. He is listed on the credits for on Love, on Love on the on the Hong Kong movie database. They they do list him there. But yeah, it's obviously some stock footage from something else. Um, I I would want to say it's from maybe Ng from God of Gamblers. that didn't get used because I mean he's got the look. Yeah, yeah, and I'm trying to think of of. Was it maybe from a TV show that he had had a similar look early on, or something that some you know, a smaller movie that I might not have seen? But it's it's really it's like because it's slow mo that's not intended to be slow mo, so it looks really choppy. It's it's not even like uh 30 frames, I think it's just so it's just so there and so quick, quick and then it's done. Um, and, and, and it's like back to the guys shouting sifu and, and that's it. Um, but still it, it works in the context of you know bringing these these two worlds together it's a shame that they couldn't have gotten him in to do you know a full-on cameo at the end because i think that would have been would have been nice and and we talked about a similar thing with regard to the god of gamblers the return um you know kind of the reverse of that at least in this film they did establish a reason why he wasn't kind of coming there to you know defend his name and and to to, to help the the, the, the two you know young guys out
0: i wonder if Chang fat needed a break after 1989 he, he there was some massive productions you know john woo's movies once a thief and Hardboiled in 91 and 92 but I, I i just have a feeling based on the credits that Chang fat finally needed to have a lie down because he'd mm-hmm. been working a lot there's only one 1990 credit and who knows when he did shoot that and it's uh the movie that you uh, quite like the fun the luck and the tycoon yeah. uh so so i just wonder like uh, no I'm, I'm out 1990 i'm out you know i'm not doing anything
1: the one thing i do like also in that final scene is is the getting back to the two core guys here andy Lau and Stephen chow is that little scheme they're trying to come up with you know because at their heart you know they're these, these gambling masters but they're still schemers you know it's like it's like Andy Lau going back to being knife from the first movie you know it's like oh if I do this and then you do this we can get away with you know actually making some money which we're not supposed to do and so I think that that was an and, and of course then they hear you know the, the voice like what are you gonna do and uh we, we get that final cut but I think for me that's a nice little a nice little moment there at the end and that was one of my points of criticism at the, the God of Gambler's Return movie is we don't get that. We don't get a, any sense of closure. It's like, uh, the game's done and there's a wave and that's it. Still still shot in roll credits.
0: It's not like, you, you can't really review it like uh, this is uh, like how cinematic it is, but it, it's solid, shot in a solid way, even though they shot it uh, very fast and uh, they, they know this like almost in their sleep, like to shoot movies fast and shoot uh, make it technically able and sufficient. They did this all the time in the 80s and 90s just churn them out but i suppose that's uh down to wong jing and all the crew to for making this happen and uh it, it's good fun it is a lot of fun and uh i, I enjoy uh, going back to it every now and again uh, as for availability though this had an earlier dvd released by maya in full screen or slight wide screen with uh, burned in subtitles so it was from a prior master from video laser disc but they did remaster it and put it out in a fine transfer and uh, it's the dvd I own personally uh, it also seems out of print as per these gambling movies from Maya and the Remastered line in general. Um, same applies to the two DVD box set they did where they paired it up with God of Gamblers 3 back to Shanghai. So they did one of those, a grand collection of God of Gamblers. Uh, so... It had uh, had one of those releases. So, so that's that. But that brings us to the point that we are going to announce what we're doing for the next episode. And we conclude and conclude the series. With the Stephen Chow run, partly, we are going to look at God of Gamblers Free Back to Shanghai, which is a time travel comedy, believe it or not. It's
1: the supernatural power on overdrive. Indeed. Co-starring Gong Li
0: in her second movie with Stephen Chow, the ever-being flirting scholar. And Ray Loy, I think, uh, reprising his character from the Bund because they traveled back to that period in time, so they brought back Ray Loy, but not Chiang Fat to reprise his role in the Bund from the, from T.V. But uh, that was probably a tall order, I think, to uh, to get them both in there, but uh, hey, that's uh, that's fun. So that that's 1991 as well, and we cut two after that for the final movie of this retrospective to 1996 when the genre wasn't as vibrant, and Wong Jing decided to direct a prequel to the Ko Chun God of Gamblers storyline, starring Leon Lai as Ko Chun, and it's called God of Gamblers Free. the early stage. Uh, but okay, we'll, we'll conclude uh, this uh, episode of uh, the is merging, if you will. Uh, Star was born, Stephen Chow, and uh, he continued on doing at least one more gambling movie, and then... Worked with uh, Wong Jing in a variety of movies, you know, including *Hail the Judge*, which is which is still my favorite Stephen Chow movie. That movie makes me laugh so damn hard. Uh, we are done, so uh, let's uh, do some uh, brief contact information before we before we sign off. This has been *Podcast on Fire* and *Gambling Season* on the *Podcast on Fire* Network. We are on podcastonfire.com. dot com. Our email: podcastonfire at googlemail.com. Our Facebook: facebook.com forward slash puf network. Reach our discussion group and join us. Uh, Type in in Podcast on Fire Network in the Facebook search bar. Our Twitter handle is at Podcast on Fire. I review Hong Kong movies, Taiwanese movies, and Ninja movies, and even adult movies at SoGoodReviews.com. My video reviews, sleezykvideo.com and my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. And we are available on iTunes as well. Subscribe and rate. And if you have the time, please leave a small review for us. We would love to hear if... uh, we suit your tastes, if you will. And finally, stream us on Stitcher Radio if you don't like downloading podcasts to your device, your tablet or phone. Available online, but also an application, which is the smoothest way to uh, stream us, is available via Apple App Store or Google Play. And your plot, uh, your plot, your plug,
1: Paul. Yeah, find um, everything I do over at uh, concast.com, that's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T.com, uh, for anything that's going on, you'll find us there.
0: Excellent, excellent. Well, we are done. Gambling season is two episodes in. The next time we conclude it with uh, God of Gamblers Free and God of Gamblers Free. How's that for confusion? <laughs> uh, but I've been of and with me was Paul Fox. So say bye bye.
1: Bye bye.